Good morning. Uh, it's, it's a privilege to be here today and, and to bring God's word and, and preach it. And uh, my wife and I and our kids have been attending CCV for the past few weeks. And so we're well aware that we are in the series uh, in the Gospel of John and that we've been looking at what's called the Upper Room Discourse in the past few weeks. John 13 to 17 records the, the final intimate interactions that Jesus has with his disciples just before he's led to Calvary. And throughout this time, Jesus tells the disciples what they need to hear as they're about to experience great loss in the next few hours and even greater tribulation for the rest of their lives. And this tribulation will come as a result of faithfully following Jesus. And I highly encourage you guys, if you haven't, I had the opportunity to listen to Pastor Johnny's sermon last week on John 15, 18 to John 16, 4, in which Jesus tells them about that hate and persecution that they will face for following him. Today's passage captures Jesus' last words to his disciples. What would your last words, your parting words, be if you were Jesus? Let me read those words for us again comes from John chapter 16, verses 25 to 33. Jesus said, Though I have been speaking figuratively, the time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. And that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you come from God. Do you now believe? Jesus replied. A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If we had to sum up what all this, these words are in one word, it'd be encouragement. Encouragement is something that we're familiar with. We're encouraged when we have a tough game or when, when we don't do as well as we'd like on the test. We're encouraged after a hard day of work when we struggled on a project and we just couldn't make a breakthrough. We hear it in these settings because encouragement is something that we need in the face of hardship, failure, uncertainty, and loss. But why encouragement? Well, encouragement is to pour courage into somebody. Right? It's the, the pouring into it. And the purpose of pouring courage into somebody is to motivate them to keep going, to help them stay on track, is to prevent them from giving up. Jesus uh, knows this, and, and he knows that we are naturally pain-averse, and so what he gives them is encouragement, right? Because when we experience something difficult or, or tough or painful, what we want to do in our natural state is to give up. Uh, I know there are a couple of students here, and you are familiar with this experience. Right? When you have a, a test or a project at the end of the week, what's the first thing you do? Procrastinate. 
right? Uh, we're like, and, and hey, I'm guilty of this, uh, especially in high school and, and college. It's like, oh yeah, I know we got that deadline coming up like tomorrow or the day after, but you know what? We end up scrolling on our phones or kind of waking up from you know, watching YouTube for hours and realizing, oh, why am I watching this video? Or we say, hey, we're gonna just take a nap so we can you know, be fresh and end up waking up the next morning. Uh, and, and so, yes, I encourage you, if you're a student, to have study groups, because in those groups, hopefully, you are encouraged to do your work on time, unless everyone is a procrastinator. And then you just have fun together. See, Jesus, knowing that the disciples were going to, to face great loss and endure suffering for following him, encourages them. He says in John 16, 1, that he said everything up to that point so that the disciples would not fall away. He encouraged them so that they would continue to follow him in the midst of persecution and hatred. And in our passage, Jesus encourages his disciples to do something specific. He encourages them to have peace in him. See, Jesus doesn't tell them to have peace in some general or vague sense. And he also doesn't use this concept of peace as we might understand it. Because when we hear the word peace, what we often think about is, is some kind of abstract emotion or the sense of inner calm. You know, when I think about peace, I think of still waters with a lily floating around. You know, or sometimes we think of peace as an absence of conflict or hardship. Or some of us just use it as another way to say goodbye. But this is not what Jesus is encouraging them to have. Instead, he gets specific. He encourages the disciples to have peace in him. In him. Jesus was specific about whom that peace is in because what or whom we have peace in matters. What or whom we have peace in matters. And Jesus, knowing all things, encourages his disciples to have peace in him because they'll need a peace. They'll need a peace that can endure in the midst of beatings, in the midst of stoning, in the midst of the many things they will experience going forward. So what does Jesus mean by have peace in me? See, when the disciples heard Jesus encourage them to have peace in him, those words hit them a little differently than they do when we hear the word. See, the disciples' context shaped their understanding of peace. Remember, they lived during the time of Roman rule. And so for the disciples, peace was defined by whom you belong to. For them, the dominant peace of that time was found in Caesar, the Roman emperor. Peace was defined by their allegiance to the Roman emperor. In order to go about living life, you had to submit to the laws of the Roman rulers or face punishment and even death. So when Jesus tells the disciples 
to have peace in him, he's telling them to do something incredibly radical and life-altering. He's telling them to change their allegiance from the kingdom of that present world to his kingdom. And it makes sense that Jesus is encouraging them to find peace in him. Because tribulation, the tribulation that they're going to face for following him will attack their very sense of belonging. See, the disciples were going to be ostracized because the world is going to hate them. That's what Jesus said in the passage that we looked at last week. And, and some of us might be familiar with that feeling. How many of us have been bullied or shamed in front of people or online? If you've experienced that, you know it can rock your world and that it could destroy your sense of belonging and self. And that's what the disciples were going to face. So Jesus says in, in John 16, too, that the world will put you out of the synagogues. It's huge. That's not just like getting kicked out of church. No, it's far greater than that. The synagogue was the gathering place. It was the hub of community life. That's where everything happened if you were a Jew. And so it was a big deal to get kicked out of the synagogue. Do you guys remember the, the parents of the blind man Jesus healed in John 9? It says in John 9.22 that his parents said certain things to the, the Pharisees because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. See, Jews feared the possibility of being kicked out of the synagogue because it meant a loss of belonging and your means for survival. So if someone asked you to make such a life-altering decision, uh, the smart thing to do is ask why. And the disciples were probably wondering, hey, why should we find our peace in you, Jesus? Jesus fully recognizes that it will be costly for the disciples to find their peace in him. So he helps them. He helps them by helping them know that it is worth their peace worth finding their peace, having their peace, their sense of belonging and purpose in him by telling them who leads this kingdom. And Jesus answers the why by saying, take heart, which means be encouraged. I have overcome the world. Take heart. I have overcome the world. If I'm going to find my peace in someone, the wisest thing to do is to find it in the strongest, smartest, and most loving being in the world. So when Jesus says, I have overcome the world, he's saying, I'm that, and even more. I am that, and even more. He's saying that he is the king of kings, that everything, even the almighty Caesar, pales in comparison to him in every category that matters. And that allegiance to Christ is far better than any other allegiance. So much better that even death can't take away their peace. The disciples wouldn't immediately understand what Jesus meant when he said, I have overcome the world. 
Because in the hours to come, they would be confused, overwhelmed, anxious, because the same person who said, I have overcome the world, would be nailed to a cross. Their leader would be publicly humiliated and killed by the current people in power. It would look like the kingdom of God was like the many other kingdoms that fell under Rome. But the disciples at that moment did not understand that the kingdom of God did not come by the might of the sword, but by the sacrifice of its leader. And three days after they saw Jesus hanging on the cross, they would see that indeed he has overcome the world. Jesus invites us to have peace in him. And even though we don't live under Roman rule, the call to have peace in Jesus is just as radical to us as it was in that upper room. Jesus is calling us to leave the kingdom that we live in, which, if we're honest with ourselves, it's often the kingdom of self, and instead to find our belonging and purpose in his kingdom. So what is this peace? What does peace in Jesus look like for us? And I've got to confess that this sermon was a lot more difficult to, to put together than I initially expected, uh, because this concept of peace it's so rich. It's so rich and it's so nuanced. There's so many pieces to it. And I found myself having to rewrite the sermon over and over again because I kept using the word peace in a, in a very narrow way. I kept reverting back to the definition of peace as well-being. And to be sure, that definition is a part of what Jesus means by have peace in me. Uh, and so I, I don't want us to neglect that and, and often when I think about this word peace, uh, the, the song, It Is Well With My Soul, comes up. And I love that verse, that first verse. is says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Amen to that. See, peace in Christ does include the ability to say, it is well with integrity in the face of tribulation, even death. But when Jesus says, have peace in me, it's so much more than that. It's so much more than just the sense of well-being. And this peace is more than something we need when, uh, only when things get tough or, or feel like they're out of our hands. See, when we look at John 16, 25 to 33 in the wider context, we see that the peace that we can have in Jesus is so much more. It's so much more life-engulfing and expansive. Again, it's, just not, it's not just reserved for when things get tough. It's not just a feeling. Peace in Christ is a reality we live in. In John 16, 33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. So what are these things? They're the words that Jesus spoke to them in the upper room discourse. The words recorded in John chapters 13 to 16. And it's through these words that Jesus explains why we should have peace in him and what it looks like. 
to have peace in him. See, during this night with his disciples, this last night with his disciples, he explains why, he sh- why they should have peace in him. And he does that by disclosing really the only reason one should have peace in anyone, particularly Jesus. He tells the disciples that he is God. He tells them in John chapter 14, verses 9 to 11, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus is telling the disciples that he's not just some rabbi, some teacher, or a prophet. He's God in the flesh. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And of course, anyone can say these things. Anyone can say, hey, I'm God. But what what does Jesus say? Like, if you don't believe me, then believe on account of the works that I've done. Throughout his ministry, he's demonstrated that he is God. He's demonstrated his power over disease and death. The blind could see, the deaf could hear, the mute can speak, the paralyzed could walk, jump, leap, and dance. And even a dead man was raised to life. He showed his power over nature. He calmed the winds and the sea with a word. And that was particularly... uh, a demonstration of his divinity because they knew that, man, not anyone can tell the wind, tell the waters to do such a thing that easily. He also fed five, no, thousands of people with five loaves and two fish. And he knew what people were thinking before they even said a word. And the disciples had witnessed this firsthand. And they knew, and he's telling them, these demonstrate that I am God, that I am worthy to have peace in. Because there's nothing in this world that can compare to the power of Jesus because he has overcome the world. He is God. But on top of that, Jesus is not only the most powerful, but he is the most gracious most merciful one. You know, one of the big themes throughout the Gospel of John is the disciples' inability to understand who Jesus is. They don't get it until the resurrection, or even a little after that. And even in today's short passage, we see that the disciples still don't get who Jesus is or what he's about. Jesus says that the hour is coming when he will speak plainly to the disciples, and guess what their response is? Remember, he says, the time will come, right? The time, so it's something that's going to happen in the future. And the disciples say, oh, yeah, we hear you. You are speaking plainly to us now, and now we know who you are. He's saying, no, I'm going to tell you later. And they're like, no, we get it. We, we hear you. See, they don't get it. And in exasperation, he says, oh, now you believe? Oh, now you believe? 
And then Jesus tells them in the excitement of their discovery that very soon they will scatter, each to his own home, and leave him alone. Jesus is telling them in this moment of hype when they're like, yeah, we got it, we got it, we know who you are. Hey, you're going to abandon me. You're going to leave me in the time that I need you the most. Imagine how deflating that is. But what's so amazing, what's so amazing about Jesus is that even though he, he completely understands that they don't get him, even after seeing all that he's done and said all that he has, and that they're going to leave him in the midst of his greatest trial, he still tells them, have peace in me. See, peace in Jesus is not earned, it's given. Having peace in Jesus is not about our performance, but his. It's something we can have because he overcame the world. See, I love what one commentator wrote to describe this scene. He says, the damping down of enthusiastic confession of faith might seem surprising if we did not remember that it corresponds to a constant pattern, not only in the fourth gospel, but elsewhere. It is part of the character and genius of the church that its foundation members were discredited men. It owed its existence not to their faith, courage, or virtue, but to what Christ had done with them. And this they could not forget. Oh. Peace in Jesus is given, not earned. And this is incredible because oftentimes when we try to find our peace in anything else, we have to perform to have it and maintain it. Say we try to find our sense of belonging and purpose in a job or in a relationship, then we have to meet the metrics or the expectations of that job or person. And if we don't, we won't have either of those things for very long. But peace in Jesus is radically different because it's given, not earned. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know the one who overcame the world? Now, the other aspect of peace in Jesus that he elaborates on in the upper room discourse is what it looks like to have peace in him. Because again, it's not abstract. It's not just something in, in the intellect or in the emotions. It affects our very day to day. See, when people were brought into the Roman Empire, their way of life and purpose changed. They went from pursuing their ambitions and following the laws of their former land to those of the Roman Empire. See, when we find peace in something, we will have to abide by a new set of rules. And Jesus describes that having peace in him is like a branch abiding in the vine, where Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And so what does that actually look like? What does it mean to, to be a branch? What does it mean to abide in Jesus? He explains in John 15, 10, where he writes, or where he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. To, to have peace in Jesus is to obey him. And obedience to Jesus is not burdensome or something that steals our joy. It's not like paying taxes to Caesar 
or doing things that will only benefit the ones in power. Rather, peace in Jesus is the path to greatest joy. In John 15, 11, Jesus tells the disciples that he's told them all these things and what it looks like to be part of his kingdom so that his joy may be in them, that their joy may be full. Peace in Christ is fullness of joy. So what does Jesus tell us to obey? What are his commandments? He summarizes it in John 15, 12 to 13. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his. Peace in Jesus looks like self-sacrificial love for one another. It means that we're willing to give up our resources, our time, and even our lives for one another, just as Christ did for us. And it's a radical call in a society where really it's about me, 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 me. Peace in Jesus involves giving rather than gathering, sacrificing rather than storing up. Now, how is this possible or desirable? Because we are told to build up, to take, take, take. So how can we give, give, give? It's because Jesus overcame the world. It's because Jesus defeated the sting of death by his own death and resurrection. And it's because in him we have fullness of joy that we can give generously. Because with him, there's nothing, the joy that he provides for us, nothing could take that away, not anything, not even death. And what's even greater is that unlike the rulers of this world who rule from a distance and expect their subjects to figure it out on their own, Jesus promises all those who have peace in him that he will be with them. And he'll be with his people by sending the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit in us who will empower us to do all that he commands us to do. Again, he doesn't say, oh, now love everybody, figure it out, you do it. No, he says, I'm going to give you the means, I'm going to give you the power to do it, I'm going to give you myself. You know, after all, Jesus makes the point in John 15, 6, that apart from him, we can do nothing. And he doesn't tell us that to discourage us, like, oh, you stink. No, he's saying, no, depend on me. Abide in me. I will help you. I will give you all that you need to do all that I've called you to do. So peace in Jesus looks like self-sacrificial love empowered by the promise of everlasting peace and joy and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There is no greater peace than that which is found in Christ. So church, let us find our peace in Jesus, because through him we can. By his grace and might, we can belong and live in obedience to the one who overcame the world. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for 
just the opportunity to see and glimpse into that intimate moment that you had with the disciples the day before you were arrested and crucified. And we thank you that the encouragement that you gave them is encouragement to us. Help us to hear those words that in you we may have peace because you have overcome the world. And may that peace not be an abstract, distant thing, but may that peace be a reality that we live in today, tomorrow, and every day. Lord, would you make that known to us? In your name we pray. Amen. What gift of